Hi, I'm Jane Mudgett, a longtime supporter of the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so I'm asking you to donate today to help save and change lives by helping the association promote mental health through advocacy, suicide prevention, reducing homelessness, and transforming the criminal justice system. Donate today at mhaok.org. Thank you in advance. Now let's get to the show. Hello, I'm Jane Mudgett, and welcome to the Mental Health Download Podcast. It is an excellent day today. I am a coach, an author, a presenter, and an explorer, and I'm so delighted to have two guests today that are some of my favorite people on the planet. Joining us are Mark Wilson and Allison Anthony. Thank you so much for being here. You can do a much better job than I can of introducing yourself. So, Al, Mark, give us a 30-second commercial. Well, I I would say, you know me, Jane, you know I'm a lifelong learner, and I love to learn, and I've learned about a lot of of random things in my life, including a master's in 17th century feminist British literature, so there you go. I love to learn about birds, I love to learn about yoga, and and now I've, I've learned a lot about addiction, and I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. I have a huge boisterous family that I love spending time with. I'm the CEO and president of the Tulsa area United way and have a wonderful work family. And also the the person I love most in the world, Mark Wilson is uh, an alcoholic. And so we've together gone down that journey and learned a lot about that together. Yeah. And Mark, you, you have, had many chapters in your life, but right now, the thing that most interested in the fact that you're a yogi and you, you teach all around the community of Tulsa, right? I do, Jane. And thanks first and foremost for interviewing Al and I. It's always an honor to be in your presence and in your company. We love you and Sam and always enjoy spending time together. But I, you know, what Al said, I'll echo, we're, we're parents and grandparents, first and foremost, we're best friends. I support Al and her role as CEO and president of Tulsa Area United Way. And she supports me. When I was uh, working for the University of Oklahoma for the School of Medicine, I retired after about 27 years, a few years ago, and uh, began my, my journey in recovery, uh, mm-hmm. addiction, and I found the yoga mat. And found a community, thanks to my wife, that really embraced me. And I went down that road to become a teacher. Thank you, everyone. Yoga School, uh, Mandy Eubanks and Melissa Smith. Just a little plug there. But just love, love the yogis and, and love being part of the community. And I, I teach at Be Love, Up Dog, the Meditation Garden, Sun People Yoga soon uh, coming mm-hmm. soon. So just uh, happy, to, happy to be alive, happy to be breathing this morning. Well, I think that we might want to start there. And that is one of the things that I've asked you in our past that you said, I feel very, very lucky. And what's your answer? Why do you feel so lucky? Well, my, my addiction, Jane, took me down a road near, near self-destruction and wouldn't want uh, that on, on, wouldn't wish that on anyone. I hit what we, uh, alcoholics, people that have addictive issues, I, I hit rock bottom, literally hit rock bottom and was, was this close, razor thin, close to losing Al, losing, losing my children, not being able to see my grandchildren, even close to health-wise, just in a very poor state, both right. mentally and physically. So yeah. 
spent time in, in a couple of trips to St. Francis Hospital. First time I came out of there, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm good now, and resumed my destructive behavior. And the second time I went in, I, I had bleeding ulcers. And if Al hadn't, hadn't taken me to the hospital, probably would have, would have and could have died. Yeah. And even then that didn't, that didn't wake me up, Jane, and went on about a three or four day binge and just didn't contact Al or the kids. And they were worried that they contacted the local authorities. And by the grace of God, Jay, baby Jay, our youngest daughter, the daughter that we have together, share together, she saw me, found me, and just my, my guardian angel and made it back home to our home in Prattville. And, and Al, that she, she gave me two choices, two options. She could help me pack up, move out, load up my truck and, and leave the house or she was going to take me to rehab. Mm-hmm. So that, that began my, my journey to recovery was going to rehab. That was the message at the bottom. Right. Two choices. Right. Let's take a step back. We might, we might go back to that comment in just a minute, but I'd like to step back because I think that it's really important to share that alcoholism is a disease. And it's, it's something that's close to home. And I, I'll tell you, I can feel it right now in my family. It hasn't been addressed in my family, and I'm accepting of that. But it is a disease. It is physically and psychologically changing. That's why we say it's a disease. It affects your immune system. It affects your blood. It's not something that is can just be put down. It physically and mentally changes your body and grabs hold of you. If you have multi-generational alcoholism, as Mark, you've shared with me that you do, then you may have genetic connections physically about alcoholism as well. So you have that disease in entering the world. So I think that's important to mention. Now, how did that influence your life having other alcoholics around you, Mark? Tell me about that impact. You know, growing up, Jane, it, it was, I grew up in, in rural eastern Oklahoma, you know, Ader County, the heart of, of Cherokee country. And family members uh, struggle with this addiction, struggle with alcoholism. I, I've lost uh, a couple of siblings to this disease. Uh, my late dad, God bless him, love him. He, he was an alcoholic. But, you know, we, we were raised uh, by my mom and dad, and they loved us. They took care of us. They provided for us. But the, the effects of this, of this disease was all around me. I don't think I really knew what was going on until years later. Yeah. Until years later. And. You know, going through rehab at Valley Hope there in Cushing, Oklahoma, one thing that I did learn was that people, Jane, just like myself, others, you know, struggle with this, with this disease every day. And it doesn't dis- uh, discriminate young, yeah. old, rich, poor, Native American, white, black, Hispanic. It covers the whole gamut. So mm-hmm. I learned in rehab that, that there's other people in this building, in the yoga community, in my community back home that, that struggle with this. So it's, it's day to day. And I know I'll, I'll live with this disease. And, and when I go beat my maker, I'll, I'll, I'll take it with me then too. But mm-hmm. uh, for the time being, I, I'm, I'm living a life of recovery. And thanks to Al and, and support groups and our children, it so far has been a good journey since I began that road, that true road to recovery. Right. Jane, um, I, would, I just want to add one yeah. one thing I think that why I'm so passionate about mental health and why I'm so passionate about 
healthcare and the ability for people to have insurance and all of those things. I think, you know, when Mark was ready to make that choice and go to, go to uh, rehab, we had insurance, you know, we, we had friends and Mike Bros, who was a former president of the mental health association, be able to help guide us. I have a good friend, Lori Tilly, and it's her birthday today. Happy birthday. Uh, But we were in leadership Oklahoma together and she would talk to me about the journey she was on with her son and in her own family of addiction. And so I I'm so grateful to all those people, but also the fact that we had insurance and, and we were able to, to, you know, just, just heartbreaking to me that some people just don't have act don't feel like they can do anything to get help because of a, a lack of health care and that's that's really problematic in our culture. When in the world in our history of medicine did we somehow take our heads off to be something else, you know? I mean that's what so when I talk about it, I I really one of the reasons we share and one of the reasons we're this open, some people are like, oh, you know, you sure you want to talk mm-hmm. about that for all the stigma. But one of the reasons, you know, that we share is, I mean, Mark was an employee of University of Oklahoma for more than two decades. I was at Williams for nearly two decades and here in, right. and all along the way, you know, we were dealing with aspects that progressed as progressive disease, right? but, but also growing in our understanding of mental health and brain health and understanding that our heads aren't a separate thing from our, the rest of right, our body. Right. So that's why we're so passionate about sharing our story. I agree with you 100%. It's my personal pet peeve that they're separated. It doesn't make any sense, even though what, we, what someone said to me once, which I totally discounted is, well, what you have in your brain, you can't see. Well, you know, mind you can't see, brain you can't see. We won't necessarily go down that path. But what you're saying is when it comes to our total health, not just alcoholism, our total health means that we need brain health, mental health, and body health. And so it, I suspect, Mark, that was part of your process now you started out with this question at, at Luke reading at the bottom is you can stay and get rehab or you can leave visualizing, going looking at the bottom of the barrel and, and you chose to stay and get rehab. Tell me about that process of rehab and, and what you went through and that connection of mind and body. Would you? Sure. Yeah. I, I didn't want to go and I, you know, Al can attest and, it was it was it was one of the hardest decisions for me to make at the time because I was I was ashamed, I was embarrassed, I was worried about what people would think, how they would react. I thought about my job working for, for Dr. Schumann and, and the wonderful people there at the Schusterman Center, but they were everyone, everyone, Jane, was so supportive, a hundred percent. And they couldn't have done any better in reaching out wrapping me up with love, comfort and grace, concern, compassion. Wow. And if I, you know, if I'd have known that, if I did, if, if, if looking back, knowing what I know now versus what I didn't know then, you know, employers, you know, they, they have services. They have services for people like me. If you just reach out and say, hey, I have a problem. I, I think I'm an alcoholic or I'm an alcoholic. There's doors that will open uh, for you. And so knowing that now, I wish I'd have, I would have been proactive. And Al even had mentioned, 
before this, before it progressed, she said, Mark, she said, you should really maybe reach out to your HR department and see what they have. I think they would probably have some counseling sessions for you. And so never did. But the uh, when I when the hardest part too of, of getting to to gut the to Cushing from Sand Springs, I I Al drove and I was just in the front seat and I was just I think I was bawling and crying, saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to leave you. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. But they were they were very professional at, at, at Valley Hope and and literally out. We drove up, parked, walked in. They checked me in, and then she left and said, "I'll see you when I can see you." That sounds like a really really dark, scary day. Mm-hmm. It, it was. Jane, I'll I'll pause and talk about just the part of, you know, I made some phone calls, were able to find a bed. I mean, that's another challenge is, is we don't have enough. And that's, that's one of the reasons United Way is so supportive of, you know, 12 and 12 and, and our partners that use services and family children services that are just constantly um, trying to keep, find spaces for people, you know, who are in this situation. But, and I, I'll also mention what Mark said about employers. You know, I think one of the the good things over the past few years is the employee assistance programs that are available to help open those doors. But he also said, and it's so true, there's so much shame, you know, right. there's so much stigma, but there's, there's not only the stigma externally that you're dealing with, but there's so much personal shame. Like I should be able to, I mean, for me, you know, me, you know, I've had a zillion ideas in my mind and most of them I've been able to execute on, and, you know, and <laughs> like, I can do this, I can fix this, I can, you know, and Mark too. I mean, he's, you know, he's a very, he has high efficacy and was able to help other people and do right. lots of things. And so there's this shame, like, how did this happen again? Or how did I get drunk again? Or how did, right. you know, why can't our family figure this out? But I will say, I don't know anyone that's ever been able to recover from an addiction, whether it's food or work, anything, all the addictions by shame or by shaming someone. And, and I'll just share, I, one of my favorite quotes and what I think was, so there was a turning point for him, but I also had to have a turning point where of, you know, confronting my own fear. Well, what happens? I had to come to a place to say, what happens if he chooses to hit the road? Right. The thought of having to make that choice for the sake and the health of my family and my daughter and, and our kids and, and me and, and him, you know, it was really the, the conversation at that point before he went to rehab was, you know, I'm not going to help you die, right? I will I do anything I can to help you live, but I'm not going to help you die. And allowing you to live here in the depths of your alcoholism will kill you. And I'm not going to be part of that. Okay. So I had to get to that place where even in compassion, I had to face my own fears of being alone. And, and you know, and and so this quote that I love from Jack Cornfield shared with us by our good friend, Steve Hoppus, and starting some, some classes in meditation, we're also part of our own path to recovery. But he says, I used to think that to become free, you had to practice like a samurai warrior. But now I understand that you have to practice like a devoted mother of a newborn child. It takes the same energy, but has a completely different quality. It's compassion and presence rather than having to defeat the enemy in battle. Mm. So, you know, for me, it was kind of putting down my shield and my armor and having compassion and presence and saying, whatever happens, is going to happen 
but I'm compassionately going to drive him to Cushing <laughs> right. and drop him off and not try to battle this in my own. I had to recognize that I couldn't fix it. And that was, right. that was hard for a personality like me. Something that I have been studying a lot about this year, and that's dignity. Mm-hmm. And you have to, at some point, you may lose your dignity in alcoholism and addiction, although it is there. It's something you're born with. And Al was in a position where she still had to respect and have compassion for your dignity, even if you didn't know where it was or you weren't behaving in a way to uphold that. So you were involved with the program that was involved with physical health and mental health, right, Mark? Yes. Then, yeah. yeah. So a typical day at, at Valley Hope, once, once, they, once you get processed, they, they check your vitals and your, your medication that you're on, they monitor you closely for a few days. It's just you, you, you may be experiencing withdrawal symptoms. So they really, they check on you every, every 30 minutes or so. They keep you in your room isolated from the others for, for about 48 hours. And then when they deem you're okay to come out and, and function, you, you, you're, you're with the other public and it's just, you're, you're with the other alcoholics and you, you see them, you, you're around them, you get to know them. I made some good friends at Valley Hope. And mm-hmm. yeah, the thing too, Jane, at there, I could have left any time. I could have walked off and said, I'm done. I wasn't ever restrained or, yeah. or, or locked in. So, but for the most part, people there stayed with the program, completed however many days that they were, were there. And then they, you know, just some sobering facts that they would tell us made an impression on me. They said, most of you, when you leave here, you're going to relapse. Some of you will go down that road, you relapse, and you're going you're gonna to die. There's a few of you that will, will stay with the program. You'll never drink or smoke or do drugs again, but that's, that's few and far between. So they said, look around the room. We would have group sessions, and three-quarters of you will, will not make it past wow. the age of 40 or 50. It was, it was real. They were real mad. They didn't sugarcoat it. But, you know, just we had some free time. We, we, we ate breakfast and lunch together and, and dinner together. After about a couple of weeks, Al and, and baby Jay brought uh, baby Jay's car mm-hmm. to Hope just so I could have something to, <laughs> to leave off campus to go get some, some coffee. I'd make cigarette runs for the other, for the other residents who didn't have a car. They'd give me money and I'd run right. to Walmart and pick up their packs of smokes. Jane, <laughs> you know Mark well enough to know that he was sort of the mayor of, of oh, Valley yeah. Hope. Yeah. What do you need? What do you need? Yeah. You know, and and so I mean, we're laughing, and your your audience might find that bizarre that we're laughing, you know. But I want to share something. I mean, we've laughed through all of it together, and not because addiction is funny, because it's not, but because life is funny. And and I mean, I would call Valley Hope to get to talk to Mark, and there were certain times I could call, and people would, you know, they had group phones just in the lobby there, and. And I would call in someone that I didn't know would answer. And they would say, well, hey, Al, we've heard a lot about you. And then it would be like, Mark, Al's on the phone, you know, and it was just, and it would always just tickle me. And, and I would get to know people. I mean, right. one time I was talking to a lady in the lobby and I had just come from work and was dressed fairly nicely. And, and right in mid sentence, she just threw up all over my shoes. She was, yeah. she just threw up all over my shoes and, you know, and I just had those moments where I thought you can either rail against the unfairness of your shoes getting thrown <laughs> up on and your husband being in rehab, or you can look at it and say, we're not, we're not, not living. 
just because we're in this circumstance. We're living, we're building new relationships. The last funny story that I will share with you is that even when when we had declared Mark a missing person, when he went on that three-day absence. And that was really the first time he'd done that. And so we had an officer, a, fem- a female officer in our house on that third day. And Jay and I were talking to her and she asked, because Mark, as you know, he's very loving and very connected and he always had his phone. But when he went missing that time, he didn't take his phone. Mm-hmm. And she asked, well, do you think he might be considering suicide? And I said, you know, officer, I, I mean, anything's possible, but I don't think so because he, he was in mid laundry cycle. Like he was doing the laundry and there was, there was clothes in the dryer and he knew I wasn't going to fold them. And she goes, she said, here, wait, can we pause a minute? If this all works out, okay. Can you tell me how you got your husband to do the laundry? (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, I remember these funny, funny stories throughout, but it's true. And, you know, the same, the same thing happens in other sort of really serious situations that you end up finding the fun things with it. And, and really the message that I gather from, from all of this is it's not about the shoes, right? It's not about the shoes. Yeah, you can get more shoes. You can get more shoes. It's about the person and it's being there. And, and then at that time, you also realize that those people who are answering the phone, that you didn't realize how personal it had become because they're hearing about you in, in group therapy, right? Okay. But they're and lovely people too. I mean, that's they're like, in the same you know, boat. Us, them mindset no. going into it. And they're just like us. And the more open and authentic we can all be, the more healing and supportive of each other that we can all be. And, you know, that great line from the Leonard Cohen song anthem, you know, ring the bells that still can ring, you know, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, you know? So if we allow people to see the cracks, you allow their light, their healing light to come in as well as yours to come out. So I, I just think having that authenticity and once you can get to a point of of, of the other side and being able to communicate, it helps other people just as much as it helps you. You know, that's a really nice metaphor as compared to where we had started with as far as starting with darkness, but mm-hmm. realizing there is light and the rehab was helpful to you and the therapy was helpful to you. And I'm, I suspect there were dark moments in between, but these moments of light, was there a time where you felt this transition that that others were not shining the light on you, but the light was coming from within, Mark? Oh, Jane, a little bit. Coming out of rehab, it, it, it's just, it's so fresh and new. And, and you know, they told us just some nuggets, you know, like that your brain, it's going to take a few years, yeah, if not longer, for you to get back to where you once were before you were an alcoholic. And that, that's so true. I, I still today have moments of clarity and go, man, you know, where was that? How, how did that come to be in? And yeah, so starting to coming out of rehab, going to get involved with my, my, my AA group really helped. I was going to AA meetings, sometimes two meetings, three meetings a day getting mm-hmm. out. But then too, Jane, there were, there were periods where I would go weeks, months of sobriety and then, and then relapse, relapse hard again, mm-hmm. then go back, get back on the wagon and, and fall off. Mm-hmm. So it was a struggle. And, and Al and I, we, we talked about, you know, what, 
do you need to go back to, do, you, do we need to go for more extensive, longer stay at rehab? Should you go out of state? And I think we went to, we went to a yoga retreat and, oh, okay. and, and found, and I, I discovered um, yoga and Al had been trying, Al had been on me to do yoga mm-hmm. for a long time. And I just was always stiff arming, Heismaning her mm-hmm. and, and something, something clicked, something happened at that retreat. And I saw like the light kind of came on. Mm-hmm. and uh, discovered Raven Yoga with our good friend, Nicole Peltier, which mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is for uh, people with addiction issues. Mm-hmm. And from there, it just it just took off. I started going to, to the yoga studio with Be Love, but downtown in, in Jinx. Mm-hmm. And man, it, it, it hit. It, it took over. It took off. I started I, meditating more. And so that mind-body connection yeah. really helped. You know, and Jane, I remember when I was trying to get Mark to do yoga with me, even before his recovery, I even, there was a time when we would do, if you know, table talk, I right, said, just right. get on the floor, do yoga, just get on the floor and do table talk, hands and knees. You're on your hands and knees, like a baby crawling and okay, lift one arm. And I remember he couldn't even really do that. You know, his, his health and his balance were off and he, even sober you know, or even not drinking, his balance was off. And, and so I share that because, you know, now he's teaching and now, right. I mean, now he's got great balance. Now I can do all kinds of things I can't do, you know? And, and so the, the healing is possible. The healing right. is there and the, the mind body connection. Sometimes when you're just lying on your mat and you say, okay, I I'm present enough to recognize I'm suffering right now. This is a moment of suffering, but you know what life include suffering sometimes. And I, this, I can get through this and, and I can breathe through this breath is so powerful. I can breathe through this. And, and I am more than my thoughts. You know, you can yoga will help you recognize your runaway brain and your runaway thinking and your mind thoughts. And you can say, I can step outside and see what those thoughts are doing. And I'm more than that. And Right. So I think that's why yoga and meditation mindfulness are so powerful in recovery because it helps you get, get past that shame and recognize when you're, when your mind, where your thoughts are saying, gosh, you've really screwed up again, which we all do. You know, you're like, well, right. I'm suffering right now, but I can recognize that and move past it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my meditation instructor really became quite adept at it when she had tuberculosis of all things. So that there's a, just an illustration of your example that she was in the middle of suffering, but decided to calm her mind and, you know, acknowledge all the stimuli and put it aside, which is what you're alluding to. I'd like to touch on one other thing that, that you mentioned as far as these thoughts go and being in rehab and having therapy, but having some relapses. Did you have, well, I know that you had experience with some of these anti-craving medications and people don't talk about that very often. And They've just been so successful for so many people. Could you just together share a little bit about that, the anti-craving medication that was prescribed to you and how it helped? You know, I think when 
when Mark came out of rehab and he had, he had some good, you know, we, we traveled, he, he went to AA meetings all over the world. Oh, fun. <laughs> he went to AA meetings in Rome. He said, wow, they smoke a lot in that AA meeting. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there were a couple, not a lot, but a couple of times that, you know, that he would think you get to this place and think, oh, I think I'm cured, you know, and I'm with my buddies on the golf course. I think I can have a beer. And, and he couldn't. Some, and I'll say some people might be able to, I don't know, you know, exactly. everybody's is different, but he, it, it was, we also began to recognize the triggers, you know, that there were certain situations mm. and places and people that were triggering for mm-hmm. him and, mm-hmm. and that would, that would cause him the anxiety. So a couple of things, one is he realized that he does suffer from, from an anxiety disorder. And so he began taking anxiety medication that helped a lot. And he said, you know, there are there are anti-craving medications that can kind of help you as you're going through recovery. And, mm-hmm. and Mark did take one of those and it did ease that in the early days. I don't no. think you're taking it anymore, no. but in the early days, it did really help him get past the habits and develop new habits. And yoga was part and the mindfulness were part of the new habits. New habits Developing yeah. a new community, Jane, as you know, for Mark was very important mm-hmm. because you know, his buddies at the bar were his community. And so now his friends in the yoga world and in the recovery world and people, people will text me and just ask me for Mark's phone number. And I never ask them why I just always give him, Mm -hmm. give them their phone number. And because often they know that we've gone through this and they want to talk to him about that. So those are his new communities. But I, you know, in the time we have left, I, I wonder he, he spoke at his recovery graduation or when we were leaving, he spoke to the, the, some of the, the people in recovery that had just gotten there, some that mm-hmm. had been there longer, some that had been back and forth a few times. Mm-hmm. And, and he told an analogy of a, of a native story about staking in mm-hmm. that I think is really moving and powerful about facing forward and staking in. You want to sh- share that? Can you share that? Yeah, I can. And and then too, Jane, just to get back to the, the anti-craving medication that our, our, our good family friend and, and we, I owe him so much gratitude because he was just real forthright and honest. And I remember him saying, so you're, you're just an alcoholic. You drink too much. I said, doc, I, I'm an alcoholic. I drink too much. And he, he, pres- he prescribed this anti-craving medication. I can't remember the name of it. No, I wish. We can get it for you. But he, he said, you know, he said, Mark, you, you'll take this, take a pill a day. He said, a bit, you know, maybe eventually you have to, you might take this the rest of your life or you may go get to a point where, you know, I really don't need this anymore. And alcohol does not serve me yeah. well. And I know. got to that it's point. like an allergy. But I really, he had a instrumental part mm-hmm. in my recovery prior, or really getting me on the road along with uh, yoga and mindfulness. But his, well, his passion as a doctor and his expertise said, let's, mm-hmm. let's do this. Let's see how it works. And it worked. Yeah, for try me. it. Yeah. Why don't we wrap up with that story? But I, I'd like to close this part of, of the podcast by saying that I'm so grateful that you've found lots of different kinds of help. So an employee may have an employee assistance program and may have insurance. And the reality is it's going to include physical health and mental health. So we will need psychiatrists. We will need therapists. We may need physicians. We may need rehab in that process. And 
it was so great that you had those resources available to you. In our community, we have resources available to folks by calling 211, by getting resources for the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma and many others, 12 and 12, Family and Children Services, some of that you already mentioned, Allison, that are available to folks who may not have insurance or may not have the, the network that we have. And, and I'm grateful for that. So thank you for sharing your story very much. And, and the one thing I know with alcoholism in my family, that it is still a daily, it's a daily practice. It's a, a daily thought process. It's a matter of making choices And it sounds like what you have both learned over the years is adding a whole new menu of choices of people and places and activities and that have led to your health. Is that a good recap of what's happening? That's a great recap. And the only other thing I would say before Mark closes, Jane, is when I was interviewing for the United Way CEO position, Mark was in rehab. And I share that because... I think that there's a humility that families can come to that is we all need help sometimes. Right. And our, our help happened to be in the, the way of alcohol recovery, addiction recovery, but we all need help sometimes. And that's right. why I'm so passionate about the work I do. And thank you for your help. Mm-hmm. You've helped yeah. us at the United Way raise money. And because I know it's not us, them. I know right. we all need help sometimes. And that's why we have the safety net of these 59 partner agencies. And that's why I'm so passionate about right. the community coming together and supporting those. So, right. you know, that's, that's a message I would leave is that no one heals from shame. No one heals. You can't shame someone into healing no. and, and rather with compassion and recognizing that we're all in this together and it can be, you know, we've had some amazing experiences and while I don't wish this on anyone, you know, recovery and alcohol right. is difficult. All addictions are so hard. At the same time, you know, it is that that light can come in when you're willing to recognize that there are cracks and you can deepen your relationship with each other and with your community mm-hmm. and with yourself and your own your own self-love. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just that we all need help sometimes. Yeah. 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 But Jane, you know, I'm you know, full blood Cherokee, and we've been, I've been blessed. We've been blessed to, to be around a lot of our Native friends, Indian friends, and family. We're real close to some of our Pawnee people and our Comanche people and Kiowa people, the, the Plains Indians. And, you know, they, they heard a story one time about when they were, they were getting ready to go into battle. They were getting ready to go fight. And so they were preparing, they were praying, they were singing. And, and they knew when they were getting ready to go to battle, they were going to fight, fight to the bitter end. And one way that they, they fought is that they, they, they staked themselves in with the tether. They tied that tether around them and then just staked it into the ground. So they weren't going to back down. They weren't leaving. Wow. And, and they were ready to fight till the bitter end. And so I shared that with my, with my residents, Valley Hope family, that with this staked in, I'm going to fight this. It may get the best of me, but I'm going to fight it. 
space forward. Yeah. And the connection to the earth as well, that you are connected to the earth, you are facing forward, and you're keeping your own dignity, and you had no idea what that voyage would be. I am so grateful that you all shared this with me today, this journey you've been on, that you have had a real light shine upon you for health and wellness and dealing with addiction and specifically with alcoholism. And I'm so proud that you were able to share your story with others in the community. 